Whilst some affect the sun and some the shade, some flee the city, some the hermitage, their aims as various as the roads they take in journeying through life, the task be mine to paint the gloomy horrors of the tomb. To the Michael Myers Minute, where we delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween one minute at a time. I'm your host, Robert Black. Those opening lines were from the poem The Grave by Robert Blair. Or how about this, from Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard by Thomas Gray. The curfew tolls the knell of parting day, the lowing herd winds slowly or delay. The plowman homeward plods his weary way and leaves the world to darkness and to me. There isn't actually much to talk about for minute 31, as you will see. But it got me thinking about cemeteries, which quickly drifted into thoughts of poetry because, I don't know, I was feeling particularly goth today, maybe. Minute 31 takes place in the Haddonfield Town Cemetery. Actually, Sierra Madre Pioneer Cemetery. Check Instagram, Michael Myers Minute, for photos for my recent visit to the location. Angus Taylor, the graveyard keeper, is just starting to tell a story about a guy over in Russellville named Charlie Bowles. Not the real-life Major League Baseball pitcher, Charlie Bowles, for the record. But I'm in the mood for poetry. How about some Spoon River Anthology, Edgar Lee Masters? In John Hawass' introduction to the anthology, he writes, quote, Composed of monologues spoken by the dead in a Midwestern cemetery, it was conceptually stunning, focused on the inner lives of even the violent and the sexually maladjusted. It was shockingly frank. Written in flatly realistic and often ironic free verse, it was stylistically innovative and concerned with frustration, struggle, and conflict in America. It was an ambitious portrayal of cultural decline firmly grounded in the specifics of community life. End quote. I don't know where this line about the anthology comes from. It's quoted all over the internet, but, quote, The aim of the poems is to demystify the rural and small-town American life, end quote. I talked in Minute 3 about how the setting of Judith's murder in 1963, however deliberately so, was meaningful because it was just before the assassination of President Kennedy. That Halloween, then, is about a certain descent from innocence in America focused in on one small town in Illinois. The counterculture, violent protests, and the Vietnam War, all broadcast on the nightly news, have taken away the nation's innocence, and Halloween grounds that decline, again, however deliberately, in one small town as microcosm for the larger fall from grace. The aim may not have been to demystify small-town life in Halloween, but the choice to limit the setting is important, and its small setting can easily be taken as representative of any place in the larger world its characters as any one in the larger world. And I'm inclined to drift away before we come back for Charlie Bowles to something perhaps more hopeful. From Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters. The poem, Benjamin Fraser. Their spirits beat upon mine like the wings of a thousand butterflies. I closed my eyes and felt their spirits vibrating. I closed my eyes, yet I knew when their lashes fringed their cheeks from downcast eyes. And when they turned their heads, and when their garments clung to them or fell from them in exquisite draperies, their spirits watched my ecstasy with wide looks at starry unconcern. 
Their spirits looked upon my torture. They drank it as if it were the water of life, with reddened cheeks, brightened eyes, the rising flame of my soul made their spirits guilt, like the wings of a butterfly drifting suddenly into sunlight, and they cried to me for life, life, life. But in taking life for myself, in seizing and crushing their souls, as a child crushes grapes and drinks from its palms the purple juice, I came to this wingless void where neither red, nor gold, nor wine, nor the rhythm of life is known. Okay, maybe that one isn't that hopeful. We'll come back again later. The Charlie Bowles story is shown in comics, or maybe prose, in the Devil's Due published Halloween Charlie, which I still haven't found. Apparently it's included in the Night Dance trade, along with Sam and White Ghost. The trade is not available cheaply, though some of its parts, Night Dance, Sam, White Ghost, are available online. Night Dance, the main story, takes place in Russellville, in part of it at the Bulls Farm. Which, side note, I really wish now, like, retroactively, that the Tower Farm and Halloween 5 were the Bulls Farm, because that would just be a nice little tie-in together. His wife's name is Betty. His two children are twin daughters, Tiffany and Christina, and these murders also happened in 1963. In that story, among other things, we also learn that one of the patients who got out of Smith's Grove Sanitarium October 30th, 1978, when Michael set them loose, was none other than Charlie Bowles. Taylor's story from the film. Taylor. One night he finished dinner and he excused himself from the table and he went out into the garage and he got himself a hacksaw. And then went back into the house, and he kissed his wife and his two children goodbye, and then proceeded to... And Loomis interrupts, because, as we've seen before, like in minute ten, Loomis has a tendency to interrupt. Where are we? Taylor. Huh. Oh, uh, it's right over here. Yeah. Myers, Judith Myers. I remember her. Couldn't believe it. Such a young boy. And the script says Taylor stops cold. Loomis. The matter you lost? Taylor. Why do they do it? All of the actors tone here. He points to the plot right in front of them. Loomis stares. The headstone is missing, uprooted from the ground. Taylor. Goddamn kids, they'll do anything for Halloween. In the novelization, Taylor says, Goddamn kids, this happens to me every Halloween. Making this not so out of the ordinary. Loomis. Whose grave is it? Taylor. Oh, I don't know. Having been to the cemetery, it's very small, and he already was directing to it, so this is actually a little weird that he doesn't know exactly where they are already. But in the script, Taylor checks his paper, then counts the rows and plots. 1819. Judith Myers. Loomis looks out across the graveyard. Loomis. He came home. And the minute ends. We will not get much graveyard in minute 32, so I have a question. Why does Loomis go to the cemetery at all? What does he expect to find there? Why is he wasting time that could be spent finding Michael? I mean, would six-year-old Michael, having confessed to in the novelization, or just being the obvious perpetrator of in the film, his sister's murder, have attended the funeral? Even if he did attend the funeral, would a six-year-old know how to get to the local cemetery? For that matter, never mind his ability to drive, which we have talked about before, how does he navigate? How does he find his house? How does he get from Smith's Grove 
to Haddonfield. How and why did he happen upon Christopher Hastings at that train track crossing? I mean, later we see he's following Laurie and Annie. He's following Tommy. Then it's more about just watching his target and following. How does he know his way around? How did he know he was in Illinois? I mean, as a six-year-old, did he know what Smith's Grove was? Does he know that it's just 150 miles away? These are the important questions. <laughs> but that is all for Minute 31. Michael Myers Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. You can stalk us on Twitter and Facebook at Myers Minute or Instagram, Michael Myers Minute, which is actually where I've been most active lately for this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review if you like what you hear. And I'll leave you with this from Edgar Lee Masters' Spoon River Anthology. The poem, Francis Turner. I could not run or play in boyhood. In manhood I could only sip the cup, not drink. For scarlet fever left my heart diseased, yet I lie here, soothed by a secret none but Mary knows. There is a garden of acacia, catalpa trees, and arbors sweet with vines. There, on that afternoon in June, by Mary's side, kissing her with my soul upon my lips, it suddenly took flight. Until next time. See you later.